I'm Francesca. And I'm Erin. And you're listening to The Lady Cave. Where ladies do as they please. And we find out how it's done. Hi! Hello there. Welcome back to The Lady Cave, cave ladies. Cave ladies. Maybe that didn't come off as complimentary and empowering as I'd hoped. I don't know. We might be able to work with it. I think it totally works. Anyways, on each episode of The Lady Cave, we profile an awe-inspiring lady who is owning her own dreams and creating a space that is truly her own. Our guest last week, Alex Chin, taught us that while putting yourself out there might be difficult, it's not only rewarding, it can actually be hella fun. Her fearlessness is contagious, and we loved hearing her story with no sugarcoating. Her candor puts you at ease while simultaneously making you find your own truths. That theme continues with our guest this week, Yulia Larcheva, who is constantly pushing her limits in every direction. She does so unapologetically to see how much she can do for this world. Yulia is a serial entrepreneur with a fierce compassion and a seemingly endless well of creativity. Endless. And before we give too much away, let's go ahead and dive into the story behind such a dynamic lady. Today in the Lady Cave, we have the multilingual and multi-talented and multi-magnificent Yulia Larcheva. She is the co-founder of Fundreamer, a global crowdfunding platform focused on social good and promoting women and diversity-led projects. Welcome to the Lady Cave, Yulia. Thank you for having me in the Lady Cave. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, so just first off, um, we want you to tell us a little bit more about Fundreamer. Uh, Fundreamer is a global crowdfunding platform focused on social good and promoting women and diversity. We're similar to Indiegogo and Kickstarter. What makes us different is that we have flexible funding, so you can um, cash out early, you can extend your campaign, and we also charge the donors instead of the campaign creators, so you get to keep everything that you raise, which is a really big deal. Awesome. And we're global. We accept 139 currencies in Bitcoin, and Kickstarter and Indiegogo only do five. Okay, but we kind of want to take it back a little bit in time. Um, And so you were actually born in Russia and then immigrated to Connecticut when you were 10 years old. What was that like for you? It was shocking. It really was because I grew up in a small village, maybe 25 minutes outside of Moscow, and it was very rural. Um, When we moved, we actually didn't have running water, so it was that rural. And um, my uncles had been here for a long time, for 25 years. My uncle actually invented the patent for uh, dissolving stitches. (laughs) So they immigrated here, and they were engineers, and they couldn't find jobs in Russia. And they moved here, and they became taxi drivers, and then eventually found jobs in um, in the field and um, contributed to society, which is really great. And then they pulled us over, and landing in Connecticut was very different from um, Russia because they had running water. And I, I ended up moving to Woodbridge, which is a really um, great town full of people who work at Yale, and the houses are really huge, and um, it was a shock. And I thought everybody in America lived like this until I realized that it's abnormal and it's just privilege. And uh, I was very, very lucky to be a part of that world because I was given very a lot of opportunities. So it sounds like there's kind of some entrepreneurship that runs in your family with your uncles and their patents. That's cool. Yeah. So how do the roles of women in society differ culturally between here and Russia? I know you were young when you left, but you know, just culturally. Were there differences you noticed? Women definitely lead the family, and we're, we have stronger bonds with our grandparents. Grandparents are a very big part of our lives. So you usually live with family. Um, they take care of children. And when you come to America, you know, you kinda, everybody kind of gets pushed out at the age of 18, and you're on your own. And there's a big gap between a family life, and there's less support. 
I like the familial aspect of being Russian because you have a whole community behind you and it's a lot easier to do projects and be able to support a family where it's a little harder here. I think old people kind of get pushed out of the way as they age. There's a lot of ageism and people don't necessarily harness the wisdom that they have. And I wish for American society to have a better bridge between the young people and the old people because there's a lot of knowledge that gets lost. So do you feel that you said women really lead the family in Russian culture, um, but do you feel like you know, maybe without that pressure here that there is, I don't know, more of an ability or it's more accessible to go out and to start your own company or something like that? Or do you feel like you notice that in Russia as well? Um, it's probably different because I haven't been back since I left, so it's very different. But um, the Western mindset is more entrepreneurial and there are a lot more women doing things in the West, I think, where there are a lot less women leading in Russia. It's a very male-dominated society, so you're expected to you know, provide a really great home life and help your husband succeed and um, just be a great wife. So speaking of doing things, we understand that you've actually been an entrepreneur since the age of 11, so putting us to shame. Um, what was your first entrepreneurial venture? My first entrepreneurial venture, and I can't believe my mom let me do this, I ordered some kind of a kit. I don't remember what company it was, but it, it was basically selling door to door. <laughs> and it was like selling like, school supplies, little things for like this organization that was into promoting girls. I don't even remember what it was at the time. But she let me go around my neighborhood for like a few months and I knocked on doors and I had a few sales. And my mom was like, okay, you're not dead, you're safe. How are the neighbors? <laughs> they're great, right? And I'm like, yeah, they're great. And then after about like four months, I was over it. I was like, okay, this is my first venture. Great, made some sales, let's move on. And then I started, um, a t-shirt company around the age of 15 out of my high school selling silkscreen t-shirts. So I realized there's a gap for female skateboarders because I rode BMX bikes and I skated, but I could never find girl clothes. I always had to wear huge baggy boy clothes. So I started making um, girl t-shirts and it was a clothing line called Mercury Retrograde. So I'd silkscreen them in the back of my, oh my God, <laughs> high school silkscreening shop and they let me do it. And then my mom was cool enough to just like drive me around to skate shops and distribute them on the weekends. So I had like a small distribution route and there was a very small clientele of girls who were into the stuff. And guys would actually buy the, buy the t-shirts for their girlfriends, which was really cool. And then eventually it kind of got like my little business grew and it started getting in the way of my schoolwork and my mom was like, you have to let it go. We have to graduate. You can't <laughs> be like, she's like, you have to get through high school. You can't really be like a mega tycoon. This is taking up too much of your time. I think you need to go to college. And I was like, okay. So that got shelved for a while. Um, I also did some tattoo art. Like I drew a lot. So I sold tattoo to like tattoo shops. So there were people walking around with my tattoo designs. And my mom would just like be super supportive of me. She would just drive, her, drive me around to like skate shops and tattoo shops. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> um, so it just seems like there was no barriers in your mind as to like what you could go on and accomplish. Um, so kind of what do you attribute that empowerment to at such a young age to think, yeah, I can sell these kits. I can go door to door. Like, how did you kind of develop that sense of self? You know what? I guess I just want to say I'm kind of fearless in a weird way. And maybe, maybe there's a certain part of my brain that's just missing that says, don't do this. <laughs> because I really don't know. I think about this. I just think there are so many things in life that I want to try, and I want to try them, and it's better to try them and fail than not do them at all. So I just, I just kind of go and I fail, but then I also learn through my failures. Um, one of my friends has a term called failing up, and it's about doing a project, and sometimes you fail, but sometimes you learn more by failure than by success, and you just get better and better every time you do your next project. And it also sounds like 
your mom was totally supportive of all these awesome, lucrative ventures from the start. Like, she was never worried, except for when it interfered with your schoolwork. So <laughs> I'm imagining your mom is probably one of your role models, but do you have other female role models, and have they changed over time? Or Oh, there's so many. You know what? I have a really great role model in my grandmother. She, she kind of instilled fearlessness in me. During World War II, you know, we're Jewish, so that's why we immigrated out of Russia. Um, she had to live in a Nazi-occupied ghetto so she couldn't go anywhere and nobody really could tell that we were Jewish because we were blonde hair and blue-eyed. So what she did was she would take um, newsletters from the partisans who were working in the woods and in her local village and she would hide the newsletters in her baby's linens and go distribute them door to door to keep up everybody's morale about how the war was going on. She was like, okay, well, I'm stuck here. I can't do anything, but what can I do? I can I can give hope to these people, and I can do that through little newsletters. Like, people would just, like, get together in a basement, handwrite these things, print them somehow. I don't even know how they printed them. My grandmother would go door to door with these newsletters hidden in her baby's linens, just giving them out to people. And she was fearless. I mean, people died. And... I just always look at my grandma and she was just always so nurturing and she always helped people. She had like a kindergarten. She just like built people up and she was really nice and she's my hero. And I love Eleanor Roosevelt and I love Hedy Lamarr and I love so many women out in the world. I love men too. Men are great. Elon Musk is great. I love humans. I love awesome humans. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, who make the world better. It's I not love just it. about women. Totally. No, Absolutely. so many role models. In college, um, we kind of talked about you know, when you were younger and you moved here um, and a little bit into high school, but then you went to college and you started artsymag.com, which is a print and online magazine featuring women artists. And we'd love you to tell us a little bit more about that and what inspired that project. So I went to UMS Amherst and there I did um, a degree called BDIC, which is bachelor's degree with individual concentration. There I'm allowed to build my own major, which was creative socially aware advertising. So I basically found all these teachers I wanted to study with, all these courses I wanted to take. I wrote my own curriculum, proposed it to the school. They approved it. They let me do it. Um, I had a lot of internship study abroad programs into it. And then junior year, I did an internship at Paper Magazine, which I really love. And I came back to school senior year, and I was thinking, what's next? Okay, I have a bunch of classes I want to take. I'm not too excited about them. It's just a bunch of marketing classes. Um, is there anything else I can do to make my last year really interesting in school? And my friend at the time approached me and said, hey, I'm doing this art magazine promoting women artists. Do you want to be my co-founder? And I said, yes. Both her and I knew how, how to code a little bit. So we got together. We created this website called Artsy Mag, promoting women artists, because women are always considered artsy. We're never considered the masters. We're always artsy. It's like, oh, she's not a classical painter. She's not a master. She's artsy. You're like, okay, Georgia O'Keeffe is artsy. Okay, Judy Chicago is artsy. <laughs> awesome. And we were really, really into art. I have a fine arts minor. And that became our passion project. And we just thought it was going to be a college thesis, no big deal. We just put it out online. And then all of a sudden, Jane Magazine is picking us up. And we kind of created a little buzz. And we're like, wow, we're speaking to a community. There are a lot of women that feel the same way. You know, people who care about art, they're underrepresented. We had 60,000 hits a month. And this was back in 99, before social media, before Facebook. This was just through email. So we tried selling art online, which was really difficult at the time. And uh, we interviewed everybody from Yoko Ono to De La Soul to Judy Chicago. Um, so it was just a it was just about starting a conversation of how women are perceived, but also getting the men to be a part of it. It's just about art. It's a broader conversation than just painting. It's, it's about how we view women. 
And there's also writers, right? It's writers, mm -hmm. painters. It's like yeah. any sort of art form or creative expression. Yeah. Okay. So it was really fun. And then 2001 hit. Oh, we had a bunch of grants, and then 2001 hit. And we had a bunch of grants coming, and they basically dried up after that because 2001 just New York stopped. And um, so we just kind of stopped artsy because we had no money, which comes back to women and funding. <laughs> and which leads to our next question, which mm -hmm. we kind of want to go into like the origin story of mm -hmm. Fundreamer. So how did that, how was it born? About two and a half years ago, I got divorced. I was married for 11 years. So I got divorced. <laughs> wow, so many lives. <laughs> right? So here I was, I got divorced. Three months later, I, I, I took about two months off to just kind of like deal with life and, and go, okay, like, what next? And I took some classes at General Assembly to just kind of like distract myself. So I took some product management classes. And through that, I started working on an augmented reality app. I was like, okay, I'm gonna just like bury myself and work to escape. So I'm working on this augmented reality app. And I started talking to Ellie, who's the founder of uh, Fundreamer. And she's friends with Raj. And Raj works at Riot Games, uh, which is a huge gaming company. So I'm like, hey, Ellie, what are you doing? Um, you know, do you still talk to Raj? I haven't, I don't have his number anymore. He's at Rag Games. I'm developing an app. Can he help me with it? And she's like, well, Raj and I are working on a crowdfunding platform. Your app sounds great, but like you just did a Kickstarter project. You should talk to us about it. Because, okay, so I got into crowdfunding because I did a Kickstarter project for a children's clothing line that I was launching. So I had a scarf company. I have so oh many companies. Gosh. I like just like, I don't even mention them anymore. It was called Loop, L-O-U-P scarves, like a wolf, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So I had all these scarves, I had all these like little old ladies knitting for me. I made about 400 scarves a year. All these scarves blew up. But scarves are a seasonal item. They're not really profitable. So it was like a little lucrative side hobby and it was just fun. And I did it and I did a Kickstarter project to launch a children's clothing company out of Loop. I was like, okay, I'm gonna branch out to children's wear. So I did a crowdfunding project. It wasn't successful, so I learned a lot about crowdfunding because I didn't raise like the 35,000 I tried. And then I realized they did not want to do fashion because it's too complicated and I'm a tech person and I should just go back into my tech world. And um, so Ellie and Raj were like, hey, you know all about crowdfunding. We're doing a crowdfunding site and you're into women and diversity. You want to come out and uh, launch her MVP with us. And I just got divorced and I'm like subletting a place in the Lower East Side of my friend's house going, what am I doing with my life? And I said, yes. I want to come to LA. And the funny thing is I put that out into the universe last year. I said, I really want to live in LA. I don't know how I'm going to live in LA. And boom, right there. They were like, come out, stay with us for like three months. We have a bunch of houses. Like, let's just hunker down and get the MVP going. So a week later, I subletted the apartment. I basically huddled with them for two and a half, three months. And we just worked on the MVP from start to finish. We did a lot of whiteboarding sessions. And we launched the MVP in two and a half three months. Yeah, we've just been going nonstop ever since. We've just been pivoting a little bit, trying to figure out what the product really is, who our clients are, you know, what our customers need. And um, as a product manager, I just love talking to people and figuring out how I can help them. You know, we had mentioned that what makes Fundreamer different from other platforms such as Kickstarter and Indiegogo is um, accessibility in a way. You accept 139 currencies plus Bitcoin. And you know, you're talking about developing the MVP and uh, product decisions. So I guess kind of what led you down that route and what did you feel like were some of the biggest obstacles um, maybe women in other countries encounter when using other crowdfunding platforms? We are very, very ambitious with Fundreamer and we're realizing it. The biggest obstacle right now is 
how do we expand into other countries? So our next goal is to move into the Philippines in the next year, and then after that move into India. India has a very huge tech market, and their population is humongous. And there's a lot of really great innovation coming out of India. And with the Philippines, they're very small, and they speak um, Spanish and Tagalog and English, and they're the most social country. So if you launch a product in the Philippines, it just kind of spreads like wildfire. But baby steps, right? We launched our MVP. We have to create a buzz around it in, um, in the U.S., which is, you know, it takes a long time to do, especially with a small staff. Our whole mission is to unite the whole entire world behind projects and make the world better. Uh, we're really interested in community-oriented projects, even things like bu building schools and libraries. Um, we want to inspire people to really start being a part of their community and um, getting communities together to raise money for amazing projects. We have an amazing, amazing woman right now in India who went to Rutgers. She's like 26. She raised about $10,000 a few years back to create toilets in a very rural village that didn't have them before. So she installed LED lights and toilets, and now all these people's lives are changed. And she's working on doing the second round of it, um, and she's gonna be crowdfunding it with us, and she's raising another 10 grand. And this is just one woman helping villages, and sanitation is just such a huge part of it. So we're supporting lots of different projects, film, tech, um, community, anything that makes life better for everybody on Earth. So speaking of kind of your portfolio projects thus far, do you have one that like, really stood out to you. Obviously this woman, this 26 year old in India, was awesome. But is there anything else that really was like your favorite? We have a lot of scholarship projects. We have one for um, Three-Legged Chair, which is a really great theater arts program in New York. And I'm really happy to give kids a chance to study. So scholarships are kind of my personal project because you can change a kid's life by exposing him to something they might not have had the opportunity to be exposed to. Yeah, and um, oh, my personal project right now is happening. It's our Hedy Lamar Memorial with Susan Sarandon's production company, uh, Reframe Pictures. So Hedy has been a personal hero of mine since I was 15. I read her story, and I actually thought to myself that when I get older, when I grow up, I want to share her story with the world because she was beauty and brains, and um, she was an actress and an inventor, and she was never recognized for her work. I want to share her story with the world because Everybody needs to know how brilliant she was. And when I was 15, I thought I would write a book or maybe I would shoot a film about her. I never even realized that social media would exist. And then Susan Sarandon's production company approached us about a month ago to help, um, to help them crowdfund this memorial. And I was like, wow, dreams come true. Here we go, we're doing a memorial for her. Like, I can't think of a more appropriate way to honor her. So, uh, Fun Dreamer, focuses a lot on um, women-led projects, promoting and supporting women-led projects and diversity-led projects. We heard an interesting statistic recently that women who receive microfinance loans, often for their small business ventures, are not only more likely to pay them back than men, but will typically pay them back more quickly. Um, so this is interesting because women you know, notoriously have so much more difficulty in getting projects funded. Um, Fundreamer is helping to level that playing field, but what else do you think needs to happen in order to provide women with equal access to opportunities? I think what needs to change is our educational system. I think it has to begin with schools. We have to get more girls interested in STEM and STEAM. I can't even emphasize STEAM enough. I put the A in there for the arts because it's science, technology, engineering, math, and the arts. You really need the arts in order to be creative. You need to be exposed to art, music, theater, film, in order to realize how they relate to math. Music is math. 
everything is math and everything is so interconnected. You can't have one without the other. So I think we need to expose more girls to technology, but we also have to create um, funds that empower women to start their own companies and invest in their own projects. There are so many reports out there that show that women get a very, very tiny fraction of um, VC funding right now. And I think the only way we can change that is by becoming VCs ourselves and investing that money in other women. Because women tend to invest, but they're, they're a lot um, less risk averse. So they tend to invest smaller numbers. But women are actually more successful when it comes to crowdfunding because they have a very large network of people they can um, connect with. And women are better at keeping relationships too than men. Um, men, especially white men, have an easier time getting funding, especially in Silicon Valley, because of their connections. And white men will invest in white men because that's the way it goes. And when it comes to women, um, we actually have more success with starting small projects and getting a lot of people to invest in them. And we have more success because we are less risk averse. <laughs> so we're actually a little better at running companies. And we actually, I think what makes us different is that we think of the group. So I think that's a really huge definition point for women companies is that we think of communities when we're a tribe. I think you really illustrated full circle of you know the exactly. world the world in which we want to live in which is that mm -hmm. you know women have the resources then to put back into funding other women's projects and supporting other women and the fact that we already are prone to do that when we actually have mm -hmm. those resources available we just need to have more women with access to those resources and getting to those levels so and we need a place where women come and we need a place where women can come and invest in other women and same for diversity groups too and that's why we created Fundreamer because there's a platform you can actually come and invest in awesome projects. And hey, maybe they happen to be led by women in diversity groups. Um, Raj, Ellie, and I were all immigrants, so we actually have a really huge global perspective. Um, Ellie's Russian, I'm Russian, but I also lived in Vienna, I lived in Austria, I lived in London, I lived in um, Israel. I've, I've lived in a lot of places and I've been very lucky, and I see the whole world as a giant community, and everybody's so similar, I don't see differences. Raj grew up in India, and he's actually from the same village that um, Slumdog Millionaire is filmed from. He moved to the U.S. with 99 cents, and he lived in the 99 cent store of his uncle for like a whole year. And then he he got into Wharton. He got into um, the program. He started three companies, had three successful exits, and uh, you know he's a success story. And um, we just want to share the same opportunities that we've had of other people having faith in us and helping us, we wanna, we wanna do the same for other people because we know everybody can succeed. And then, um, it was so wonderful and inspiring talking with you today. And we tend to wrap up um, all of our Lady Cave interviews with one question, and that is, what do the words Lady Cave mean to you? Oh, Lady Cave. Um, I think of it as a very safe place to come together and share stories. Everything goes back to the days where we lived in caves and everybody used to gather around the fire and tell stories and here we're gathered around technology which is our fire and we're in this little cave and we're sharing stories but these stories are going out to the world so we're basically scribbling <laughs> on the walls of the internet right we're leaving these little marks that will exist forever and hopefully archaeologists in millions of years will figure out what the internet is and they maybe might come upon this podcast and go, wow, there are a bunch of cool ladies doing cool stuff back in the day. Wow. I love it. Our legacy. <laughs> exactly. It's our legacy. Yeah, this is our fire. You guys are banning the flames. Trying to. Yeah, we are. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yes, it was so wonderful to have you today. It's amazing. Thank you, ladies. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening, and thanks to the lovely Yulia for joining us today. If you want to find out the amazing things she's doing with FunDreamer, you can go to FunDreamer.com. And you can donate. You could find a project that you're super excited about. Um, but we definitely encourage you to check it out. And also encourage you to check out The Lady Cave. You can find us at The Lady Cave Podcast at Twitter and Medium. And read our beautiful blog posts and enjoy all the beautiful things we've offered to you in this world. All right. We love you forever and always. Bye. Bye. Bye.